Dang, that's, that's awesome. Somebody told me I say that a lot. Do I say dang a lot? Yeah, yeah I need a, what about, uh, what's up? What about that? No? No? Some people? Okay, bring back dang. Okay, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Maybe I can get Troll McCain to help me, wherever he is. Uh, but, um, well, sweet. The, uh, I'm going to jump right in tonight. We'll have some fun. Uh, I have a friend, Dalton. He's going to come up and read for me. Yes, Dalton is awesome. But as Dalton makes his way up here, uh, basically, um, tonight we're going to talk about something where, hey, some of y'all like my stories. I don't have many stories tonight. I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about what we're getting into tonight. So, like, not even really setting it up, just, like, going right in. And our story is a great introduction for us. Dalton's going to read it. It's out of Acts 16. And it's a story about two dudes, Paul and Silas. They enter a place called Philippi. And while they're there, there's a girl who, like, practices, like, dark arts, like Lord Voldemort stuff. And, and, and they kind of call her out on it. And then the influential people in town don't like it. So they basically beat Paul and Silas and throw them in jail. And that's where we pick up. All right, so I'm reading from Acts 16, uh, verses 23 through 34. Uh, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all still here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of God of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Thank you, Dalton. Dalton is awesome. He is, uh, sorry ladies, he's taken. He is um, a taken man. Well, taken by Jesus. So he is uh, still accepting applications. He may consider dating you, but um, act quickly. But uh, thank you. Thank you for reading for me, Dalton. Funny fact, this is uh, probably my only funny fact of the night. Adolf Hitler remained single for most of his life because he didn't want to disappoint the women of Germany because he was a heartthrob there. No joke, he really was. They, like, revered him. He was like, you know, the dude from Twilight, you know, when Twilight was cool. He was, like, that level, but, like, ten times more. So, fun fact, Adolf Hitler, heartthrob. He didn't know that. But... Anyways, our story, we just read this crazy story about Paul and Silas. Cool stuff happening there. All the stuff that happened, I want to hone in on one word, one word. In verse 34, 
it's the word saved. Saved. In verse 31. Saved. He said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Salvation. Saved. This is a word we hear a lot in church, in anything Christian. Heck, you hear it in places where people aren't Christians. Born again. Saved. What does that even mean? What does saved even mean? If somebody asked you, what does that mean exactly, would you be able to say? Saved. I am saved. Why does it matter? Why did it matter to that jailer to be saved? What, what was today going to, what, what, his, what was his today? How was it going to be different because he was saved? How is his tomorrow going to be different because he was saved? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Salvation and why it matters. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're bringing in as you walk in here. This matters to you. Whether you realize it or not, it matters to you. Even if, you don't, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know what you believe, even if you're just curious, this matters. And if you are a Christian, it matters. It matters so much. So few of us realize all that this word means, all that it has for us today and tomorrow and for the time to come. And so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. going to lean heavily on scripture because I'm going to say some thoughts that are like kind of big. Hey, if you, if you like to take notes and stuff, uh, I would encourage you uh, just to like take a note of the, the scripture. Don't try to write the whole thing out because we're going to be flying a little bit, but it'll be good. So I'll pray, and we'll jump right in. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that this word means. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for your love for us. Open up our eyes, Lord God, to hear what you had to say to us through your word and what you were saying to us today about what it means to be saved. Open up our hearts and our minds. Speak through me. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to understand this, if you want to understand everything that I'm saying tonight, it's three big ideas, three big words, but it's three big ideas. And you've heard these words before, but we're going to kind of break them down, and I think it'll be interesting. I know it'll be, I, I'm going to enjoy it. You know, I hope you enjoy it. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's what it means to be saved. For the jailer, for the Philippian jailer, the Bible tells us that his life was going to be different because of justification, sanctification, glorification. Past, his present, and his future would never be the same. Justification, what we all need. Sanctification, if you're justified, what you have, but also what you should get. And glorification, what you will get if you are justified. <laughs> ah, this is so cool. Justification. All right, this is the hardest, I, the hardest of the three to get. It's, it's a slightly abstract. I'm going to do my best to try to help explain it. Justification, justified. We all need to understand this. This is like the starting point for everyone. Yeah, many people have tried to read the Bible. They don't get past Genesis, or some don't get past Genesis, but at least they get into Genesis, which we see God created the world. Man fell 
and then everything was different after that. We're all in the same playing field. Everyone is guilty before God. There is a God. He actually has standards. He, there's right and wrong matter to him. This word holy, he is actually holy. That means he has a standard to his life. This God is infinite. He has standards. And we are guilty before him. Everyone. Everyone is guilty. And it's not like just like psychological moral guilt. Like it's, it's not just that. But it is actually guilty before a real God. Anybody like Nicolas Cage movies? Anyone? Okay. I'm, I'm very surprised at that response. I thought I'd see, you know, one person say yeah, and a lot of people say no. But Nicolas Cage, a great actor, some would say. If you've seen Con Air, what, what happens? He goes and he, he, he is separated from his family for a crime that he didn't commit. And the law says he can't be with his family again until that is lifted off his head. So, because he can't get that crime lifted off his head, he has to go and do what any good prisoner would do. Break out of a prison plane. Makes complete sense. Makes complete sense. But we've seen movies like Shawshank Redemption or whatever. Some of us have had run-ins with the law, or we have family members who have run-ins with the law. What happens? Because the United States of America cares about justice, if you commit a crime, until that crime is paid for, you are not, you are separated from society, from the people that you love. So you think of it, you got, you see it in movies all the time. You got a daughter and a son and a wife looking across some bars at their, at their dad, her husband. And they're separated because he committed some crime. There is something in between them that makes it so that he can never go across until the, the, the punishment for that crime is lifted off. Friends, we are all guilty before God. And we needed someone to lift that punishment off of us so that the bars could be removed and so that we would no longer be separated before God. So God has a dilemma. He had a dilemma. He is a just God who doesn't just let criminals walk around and say, oh, yeah, I forgive you. You know, yeah, you did that bad thing, but I forgive you. He has to be just, but he also wants to be a justifier in the sense where he goes and makes you just so that you can be back in society, specifically back with him. What does he do? What is his solution? He sends Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And what that means for that person, that doesn't just mean that God forgives, but that means that he literally takes the punishment that everyone deserves and places it on himself. And then he basically flips roles so that now... When God sees the Philippian jailer, when he sees anyone who believes, he doesn't see that person anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. Man, if y'all think I'm like going too far with this, I'm not. I'm not. 
it says it specifically that Jesus is our high priest. What that means in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, what the high priest would do, he would go and stand and represent the people. So that whatever, represent the people before God. So that whatever the the place of the people was, the high priest would go and be their representative. And it would be like, God, don't see them, see me. See me instead. That's what Jesus does for us. So that his righteousness goes on you. So that you become just. That's what the Philippian jailer was entering into. It says, therefore, since... We have a high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find mercy And find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus took our place. That's what he did. That's what he made available to that jailer. This is significant. Before I say this, let me just try to do a a, a rewind. Let me just go back through it because it's a slightly abstract, this whole idea of justification. And I'm just going to, it's a summary. Because of sin, we are separated from God spiritually and physically. God was not okay with man to stay the same. His dilemma was to be both just and justifier. In order to remove our sin and make us just enough to be in his presence, Jesus takes our place on the cross. He takes the punishment that we deserve. Now, when God sees the Philippian jailer, he doesn't see his flaws, his mistakes, his past, or future sins. He sees Jesus Christ in his perfect life. That's, that is significant. (laughs) And there's no degrees to this. The Philippian jailer wasn't just somewhat justified. He's completely justified. Did you catch that? There's no degrees to this. He wasn't a little justified. He's completely justified forever. And then here comes the new life. So that's the past. Justification. But then, so what happens for the Philippian jailer? What happens that day? Then we come across the second word, sanctification. This is a great word and a terrible word at the same time. Great because it's like one of the most important words in the New Testament. It's an awesome word with great meanings. It's a terrible word because, well, in the name of sanctification and um, holiness and, 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 and right living, there have been some um, misinterpretations and some unpleasant things done on behalf of people declaring that they are righteous and holy and then misusing that, not saying everyone, but some. I, I have a couple examples in my mind, but I don't want to say them. But we, we kind of have a good idea, and it, and it is. It is frustrating when you see someone who is very proud of how right they think that they're living, but then we see other things. We see a narrowness in them. We see the pride in them. We see a self-righteousness in them. It kind of rubs you the wrong way. There's a good reason why some people really cringe when this word is brought up, but it's a great word. 
and we shouldn't throw out the word because of the abuses done to it, the evil acts done in association with it. This is a great word. Sanctification. First Thessalonians 4.3, it says, It is God's will that we should be sanctified. Sanctification, what does that even mean? That word has to do with holiness. The root idea of this word is two thoughts, not one. A lot of people just think the root idea of this word is devotion to God or something being separated for God. Like a, a preacher, you know, some people say like a preacher is, you know, sanctified because they're separated to God their whole life. They don't have a normal career. They have a career where they legitimately talk about God all the time. You know, like that's what people think of. But that's only part of the idea. The other part of the idea is worship and awe and adoration that means that there should have never been an improvement of living, an attempt to live rightly with God, out of a spirit of legalism and arrogance. But no, out of a spirit of awe and adoration. A great example for this, to me at least, is I think about, you know, when me and Katie got, got together, before we got married, we got together, and in my mind, I was never thinking, oh, crap, I, so I got to be devoted to her? Like, let me think about that. I'm going to get back to you. I, like, that was not the thought on my mind. When the, when the opportunity to be with her came up, it was like, oh, yes, Katie is pretty. She's fun. She's fantastic. Sign me up. I'm in. Yes. Why would I, why would I not want to be devoted to you? That's the attitude of sanctification. That is what sanctification is. It's not out of an attitude of like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I got to do this because, you know, Katie asked me or because Katie wants me to be with her. No, it's like this is, this is, this is my privilege. This is, this is awesome. That's sanctification. But this word is complex because this word, what it, what it legitimately means is not just, if y'all caught me early on, I said, you are are and you should be when I mention sanctification. Sanctification, you are sanctified when you are saved. You are sanctified when you are saved. Immediately. Immediately. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1, he is writing to a church, and literally the whole letter is him all like almost of the entire letter. A couple things were like, good job with this, but like 90% of it was you messed up here. This is way out of line. You're really confused and you're off about this. It's a letter full of correction about how they're missing it. Yet, at the beginning of the letter, he calls them saints. Go back and look at it. First Corinthians, I think I have it up here. Do I have it up here? First Corinthians 1. Yes, I do. There we go. If you look at this, Second verse, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is sanctified. You were given the Holy Spirit as a seal. It tells us that in Ephesians 1, verses 13, 14, 13, 14. I can't remember. I should have it up here. I don't have it right here. But it says, when you believed. Do I have that verse? Forgive me. Sorry, McIntyre, for going all over the place. Wonderful people. Thank you all for what you do. 
My man, yo, this dude is a freak on keyboard. Y'all better, look, next time he does worship, y'all better pay attention. Well, you got to worship too, but you should pay attention also. But you got to figure out how to do both. All right, well, never, it doesn't matter. Basically, it says, when you, when you first believed, you were given the Holy Spirit as a seal. Sorry, sorry for y'all who love the Bible. It's verse 13 or 14. Sorry, I didn't know the exact one. Forgive me. You were given the Holy Spirit as a seal, the promised Holy Spirit when you believed. You were given the Holy Spirit, and he helps you to live out the commands of God. Because we can't do this in our own power. And he helps you on that journey. So you are immediately sanctified. But it doesn't just stay there. You are also called to go further into sanctification. And that's what the, that was the mistake with the uh, Corinthian church. They had, they had started on the journey, but they stayed there. Some of y'all are like, ah, I mean, this sounds really churchy, and I guess this kind of matters. Guys, if y'all can't see this, you think about this all the time. You think about this if you're a Christian. You think about this if you're a non-Christian. Because some of us... When I wasn't a Christian, I used to have thoughts like, oh, look at so-and-so over there. That dude is a Christian, and he's super proud of being a Christian. But look, he's really mean to people, and I've also seen him kick puppies. So you know what? That dude is, how could he be a Christian? Because I look at so-and-so over here. He does no kicking of puppies, and he's a very nice person. And he's not a Christian. So how is it that you have some people who literally live a better life than some people who are Christians? And these people are non-Christians, but they actually live better than some people who were Christians. How can you have this dilemma? Or some of you have been in a situation where you've been frustrated with yourself. You have believed, but you've been frustrated because you, I remember like three months in, I give my life to the Lord, and I'm like flying. I'm like, yo, I'm never sinning again. I'm all in. And then three months later, I'm walking out of a situation, and I'm just like, I'm walking home, tons of shame, tons of regret, wondering if what I experienced was even real. Am I even saved? If, I, I mean, I felt like that was real. I felt like I was really committing. But then I'm doing some stuff that I have no, no business doing. How do I make sense of this? The Philippian jailer was sanctified in that moment. But sanctification is immediate and progressive at the exact same time. It's, it's progressive. It takes patience with yourself and with others who don't get it right. When it comes to it being progressive, though, I will throw this out there. In order to progress, you have to say yes to the Lord when he speaks to you. You're given the Holy Spirit, and he's going to speak to you, and he's going to say different things, and he's going to give you nudges here and nudges there, and he's going to say, hey, the next big step for you is right here. I don't want you to get all the Bible right right now. Don't even worry about that. Right now, I'm speaking to you on this. you got to obey me. And this is where we get a whole lot of confusion because some people, guys, when we don't say yes, and I've been in this situation where I didn't say yes and I got stuck. When you don't say yes, you get stuck. This is why you see people who are 
I'm gonna drink some water on this, you know, because you know, you have my, I'm about to offend some people. This is where you get some people who have been first-year Christians for 20 years because they won't say yes. And this is where you get some people who were 20-year Christians in two years because they keep saying yes. Maturity in Christ isn't about time. It's about obedience. D.O. Moody said this is so good. He said, Christ is as great a Savior as you make him. Christ is as great a Savior as you make him. There are degrees to sanctification. There are not degrees. There are not degrees when it comes to justification. That's done. And we don't need to play that game of trying to think about, oh, well, you know, I did this one thing. Am I even saved? Don't even play that game. Don't even worry about that. I'm going to say this. I didn't know if I was going to say it. I'm going to say this before I move on to glorification. When it comes to sanctification, it's not an issue of when you sin, did I? It's not an issue of if you sin or when you sin, am I still saved? It's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of settling. You settled or I settled. I have settled before. I say, ah, God, this is how much I want of you, and I get stuck somewhere. And then if I get so stuck, I might turn into one of those people where I become my own example where people are like, man, I see Jordan, your homeboy, been a Christian for this long, but he's doing such and such. And then I see so-and-so, and they're not a Christian at all, and they make Jordan look bad. I become one of those stories. But don't worry. Because we got a third one, and this one's good. <laughs> it's so good. This is, this is, I'm excited. I, I mean, some of y'all don't, I mean, I, <laughs> glorification. Glorification. This is what will be. And in order to understand how special this is, we, we have to be on the same ground here. <sighs> Even Paul you, you read about the disciples, and you're like, man, this dude had a huge victory. And then you also read about him, you're like, this dude really missed it. Even after they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they still missed it a few times. You see Paul talking about it, like all of his victories, he's traveling around being a missionary for God. And he says, even me at times, there's stuff that I want to do and I don't do, but then stuff that I know, this stuff that I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Ah, but thank you, Lord, that your grace Your power is made perfect in my weakness. I'm setting it up to say this. It doesn't, in the Bible, we don't see it promised to us that you will live a life of perfection in this side of heaven. And that's okay. Some of us are so like hell-bent on trying to look perfect and be perfect. Our culture is about being perfect. Just look at the next scandal that comes out. Our culture loves you as long as you look perfect, and then the moment you make a mistake, they are itching to tear you down. But the Bible actually isn't preaching a culture of perfection. It's preaching a culture of growth. 
constantly growing. That's what God cares about. Got a bunch of verses, and that's it. That's, that's, that's basically it about glorification. Glorification is the revealing, the unveiling of, of, a, of a believer in their eternal state where you are fully like Christ. You are revealed. You're like unveiled. It's like, it's exciting to think about it that way. Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Romans 8, 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory, in his glory. His glory becomes our glory. 2 Timothy 4, 8, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. And Romans 8, 30, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. All right, y'all, y'all seem like, oh, like, some of the, I got another one. This, this is going to get you. This is going to get you. Revelations 21. At the end of the entire Bible, you got God creating the world. Man falls. God calls a people. He calls a man and creates a people. And this people he's patient with, and they disobey, but he still loves them. He makes them into a great nation. He raises up a Savior within them to go and take the sins of all all of the world and then this savior also trains disciples and these disciples go and take the gospel all over the world to literally going to the ends of the earth and it gets to this point the very end of the bible and this is it this is this is what it says then i saw this is john one of jesus's disciples writing this then i saw this is a vision that god gave him Then I saw, I'm going to read the text eventually. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! The dwelling of God is with, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his, his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He, oh, my, my pastor, my old pastor, Eli Gotra, he used to say this, and it just gave me chills when he would say this. He said, a better translation of that verse is not look, but it's finally Finally, the dwelling of of God is with man again. He's been fighting to get to this point. He wants to be with you. This This is his passion. He created you to be with you. And he wants you to want to be with him. Finally. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He will wipe away. The Bible repeats that too many times for me not to think that God, the God who created the world, 
the God whose hands hold so much might and power, infinite might and power, he will gently touch. He will, he will call, he will remind me all of the things, all of my failures, all of my regrets, all of my dashed hopes and dreams, all of the things that people did to me that was unfair, that broke me, and all the stuff that I did to people that broke them. He's going to call all these things up. And he's going to look at me, and then he's going to wipe the tears from my eyes. He's going to do that for you. That's what he promised. That's what he promises. And and if you go, he doesn't say it just once. He wants you to know that I'm serious about this, and I'm serious about you. I will wipe every tear from your eye. I will call up all of your failures and all the things that that haunt you in this life, and I want to bring them to an end. You won't take them into this new life. You're going to be free, totally free. Come on. (sighs) Oh, man, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for those for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I'm justification. That's what the Philippian jailer got. Sanctification. That's what he was brought into. Glorification. That's what he was promised. That is salvation in the Bible. The last thing I want to say is I had duplicitous reasons as to why I wanted to talk about this, not just because of, like, the fact that this mattered, but I just had a feeling. This is the last thing I have to say. I just had a feeling that there are just some of us here who are doers, and we are just trying to do and do and do, and we're trying to show ourselves approved to ourselves and he's saying cut that out you're never going to be good enough you're never going to earn this salvation you will never justify yourself except my salvation know what my salvation means for you i also felt like some of us are crushed by our imperfections we have things that we are really struggling with and because of that we've let that stop us We've let guilt and shame stop us. Don't stay there. I also felt like some of us were just spiritually stuck and stagnant out of refusal. We've just settled with God. We thought, yeah, a bit of you and the world is worth it. When you don't realize just how much he's offering you, don't stay there. Don't get stuck. Don't be a 20-year Christian Don't be a first-year Christian for 20 years, you know? I also felt like some of us, some of us are extra judgmental, and we need to be freed from that. And you get freed by that by realizing how sinful you are and how you you didn't get yourself into this party. You didn't make yourself good enough. You didn't earn this. You never would have if you tried. And if you think you did, that you need to think really hard about this whole salvation thing. And the last thing, you know, Miranda spoke it over us last week, and it was so good. Thank you, Miranda. It was such a word from the Lord. You spoke 2018 as a year of hope. 
Some of us just need a new hope. We need a new hope, like Star Wars. But we need a new hope. And when you're living from a saved life, and you're, and, and you're living in this, so much hope, so much power, so much freedom, so much peace. Before I pray, I just want to say the last thing, and it's not long because it's not difficult. They said, how, he said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe. It's not by being nice enough. It's not by having it all together. It's not by you believe and then you try to live it out. And after you get to a certain point, then you're saved. You just say, yes, Lord. I don't even know what all this means, but I say yes to the journey. Yes to you. Yes to whatever this is. Yes to your commands and yes to your death and resurrection. That's literally what it is. And then you start that journey with him. I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for giving us what we could have never gotten for ourselves. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your son making justification available for us. Thank you, Lord God, for offering sanctification, for sanctifying us and then calling us to look like you, to be like you, to go on that journey of growth with you. And thank you for glorification. Thank you that you didn't fix us in order to just look better on this earth while we're here. But you want to be with us here, as Kinsey talked about, but also in the future fully. Thank you that you will wipe away every tear. Thank you that you will offer and give us a new heaven and a new earth, a new life. No pain, no suffering, no hurt, Lord God. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord God, that you would just reach into the minds of each of us today because I don't feel like this was a word for just those who really need to take that step of saving faith in you. But I believe this is a word for everyone here. Let us live in the freedom of what salvation means and help us, Lord God, not to settle with you, not to settle with just starting the journey. I pray this in Jesus' name.